Okay. Show me. Sometimes that is better. Welcome to the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast. Be sure you never, ever scream. A podcast where we will explore the dark corners of our world, the weird, the creepy, and the strange. There are no accidents, no coincidences. I am your host, Eric Carrier. The Boogeyman is real. And they must be coming night. My co-host is Jessica Carrier. Thank you for joining us for a journey into the unknown. Be one of us. Let's get started with today's show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This is the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast and I am your host, Eric Carrier. I am here as always with my wife and my co-host, Jessica. Jessica, how are you today? I'm doing better. I had a cold this week, so my voice is a little off, but I'm doing a lot better. Well, I'm definitely glad you're feeling better. Nothing was getting done around this house. (laughs) (laughs) What do we have in store for our listeners today? Well, today we are going to be starting a two-part series on remote viewing and astral projection. These two topics are closely intertwined, and today's segment will be focusing on remote viewing. So basically, psychically viewing distant objects or persons without them knowing it, you know, basically psychic stalking? Yes, that's the basics. You're not going to make me stare at goats, are you? Um, I can't guarantee that. This is something that I have been interested in for a while, so I am excited to uh, talk about this today. But before we can do that, we have to take a minute for some self-promotion. Don't worry, we'll keep it short and simple. Basically, the spiel is this. Thanks for listening. Please share the show. Check out our website if you're interested in merch or leaving a tip. Leave a review and subscribe to our social media channels. We have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, and love to hang out with you and meet you guys there. We appreciate all you guys are doing to help our show continue to grow. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Jess, is there anything else? Nope. Okay, let's get started with today's show. All right, Jess, let's discuss remote viewing. This was something that you were interested in. Um, Explain why. I just like the idea that you could subconsciously leave your body and go to a different place. I thought it was really interesting, and I've known people who have said they could do this, and I wanted to look more into it. I mean, it has to be something substantial if even our government was willing to put money into it. I think we've all wanted to be that quote-unquote fly on the wall, right, where we could witness a certain event or hear a certain event, that would be really cool, I think. Yes, I think it would be interesting to be able to know how to move around in the spiritual plane, to see and witness things that our natural eyes don't. Yeah, I mean, we put limits on our reality based upon things that we can actually see and witness. If there were things around us that we could see or witness that aren't necessarily part of this physical world, that would be very interesting. Yeah, we are in a very physical plane where things that we see and touch and hear and sense, all of our senses are physical. But if there was something that could open up our senses so we could experience more, that is very interesting to me. Yeah, quite frankly, most of us walk around with our eyes closed to these types of things, right? 
I think so. I really liked what British poet William Blake said. He said, if the scales of perception fell from our eyes, we would see everything as it really is, infinite. That is an interesting quote. There's another quote that I like that can actually be found on our website, and I think that has to do with this as well. This is a quote by Rabbi Simeon, and it's found in an ancient Jewish text called the Zohar, and it's actually Zohar 55a, and it says, For the blindness of the sons of men, all unaware as they are, how full the earth is of strange and invisible beings and hidden dangers, which, could they see, they would marvel how they themselves can survive on the earth. I love that. It's kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy. It shows that there is a hidden spiritual world that we are not able to see. And that could possibly be right here, all around us. And it's through processes of remote viewing or astral projection that we may be able to get glimpses into this world, which is why we're doing this two-part series, right? Yeah. So go ahead and define for us what remote viewing is. Well, remote viewing runs along the same line as clairvoyance, where a person can spontaneously know something without actually knowing how you got the information. Some people call this anomalous cognition or second sight. But the actual definition for remote viewing is physically or spiritually viewing a distant person, object, or event that you normally wouldn't be able to see. It is the ability to acquire accurate information about a distant place, person, or event using only psychic or spiritual senses. So the key here is accuracy, correct? Yes. It wouldn't make any sense to say you could do this if you're not accurate about it. What's important is that you're accurately seeing things as they really are. This is a psychic ability where you are viewing something using your mind and not your body. Is this different than intuition? I think they both run along the same lines, that people who have intuitive flashes are accessing this ability on some level. The cool thing about remote viewing is that it can be taught, learned, and honed, and that the average person can access it to some degree. I've heard this described by some people using the analogy of singing. We all have the ability to sing, but some of us are shower singers, and others of us are opera singers or professional singers. Some of us may have this as a natural talent, and some of us may have it as a talent that needs to be honed or learned or practiced or studied. For someone like me, it's going to take a lot of practice. But I also see why entities like the government, especially the military, would find this intriguing. Not only intriguing, but very important to national security. I mean, think about it. If someone could spy psychically, there would be no way you'd be able to stop them, right? So what you're describing, Jessica, is Professor X, right? Where he's able to use Cerebro (laughs) to basically see or hear anything he wants to hear anywhere in the world. Yes, but the difference between remote viewing and Professor X is that Professor X could kind of open up and see a whole bunch of different times and places at once. When it comes to remote viewing, you have to have a focus first. You can't just open up and look at anything. You have to know exactly where you're supposed to be looking at what time and what date. The other big difference, Jess, I think, is that Professor X doesn't really exist. (laughs) (laughs) Not that we know of. 
But the military has been very interested in this idea. And this comes actually from the Cold War. And actually, even before that, with World War II, when rumors started to develop that the U.S. military were using psychic communications at sea. Jess, did your research indicate exactly what these communications were or were believed to be? No, I'm assuming it had to do with targets or communicating over large distances. So whether the United States was actually doing this or not is not known, but the Soviets did believe that we had this type of program, and that's when they started their psychic remote viewing programs. And ironically, when we discovered that they were doing it, we decided to do it. So after World War II, we became very invested in this new psychic warfare program. Yeah, Jess, I believe that these first programs were CIA-sponsored, correct? Yes, they were CIA-sponsored and DIA-sponsored, which is the Defense Intelligence Agency. Yeah, and this was no small chicken. They put a bunch of eggs in this basket, like $20 million worth of eggs, right? Yes, over the years, they spent a lot of money on this project. It's interesting that if this wasn't real or this had no actual science behind it, why would the government put that much money into it? Well, the government seems to like to throw money at certain (laughs) projects that sometimes have no relevance. And we've seen that in some of our research before. Yes, but this was a continuous amount of money over many years, over decades. Yes, this program officially started in the 1970s, and it continued until 1995 when it was officially stopped and declassified. Well, at least partially declassified. Whether it's truly been stopped, we don't know. No, like any black budget or government program, it could be continuing in the background, but we don't have direct evidence of that. So as far as entities, we know that there was a CIA-sponsored remote viewing program, and we know that there was a DIA, or Defense Intelligence Agency, program. This program was sponsored by the United States Army and included research done by the Stanford Research Institute, or the SRI. And the purpose of all of these programs was to investigate the possible use of psychic phenomena for military use and practices. It seems like most of this was used to research remote viewing, but it was also used to research the possibility of remotely and psychically assassinating someone. I try that every night in my dreams and it doesn't work. (laughs) You're still alive. (laughs) It's working in degrees, just very small degrees, and it's taking a lifetime to accomplish it. (laughs) Yeah, this is what was being done in the Stargate project, which was made popular by the book The Men Who Stare at Goats. Which also came out in 2009 as a movie starring George Clooney and Ewan McGregor. And as the name of the book and the name of the movie signifies, part of this program was using psychics to see if they could stop the heart of goats. That's bad. Yes, (laughs) bad. (laughs) And that is a bad joke, Jess. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But it's definitely not hard to see why the government would want this type of ability, right? Who wouldn't? and why the government would not want other entities to have this ability. Yes. 
As we discussed before, a lot of money went into this research, and one of the main entities that received this money was SRI, which was the Stanford Research Institute, which is part of Stanford University. Now, their goal was to disprove that remote viewing was real. It was not supposed to be possible, and no one wanted it to exist. And they especially didn't want it to exist in the Soviet Union. Yes, because how do you protect your military secrets from a psychic risk? You don't really, right? That is a huge threat if this is real. So they wanted, first of all, to prove that this wasn't real. So the two main researchers at SRI were physicist Russell Targ and Hal Putoff. And these two guys were given the assignment of researching and determining whether psychic phenomena like remote viewing or ESP were real or if it could be used in military purposes. And the way that they went about doing this research was to first find what they described as natural psychics and to test their abilities. So in the Ghostbuster world, these guys would be Peter Vankman, right? <laughs> Definitely. Except for they weren't doing it as far as we know it hit on girls, right? Probably not. <laughs> now, one of the first subjects that they tested was a person by the name of Ingo Swan. And Jessica, tell us a little bit about Ingo Swan. He was actually pretty interesting because he was an artist, a psychic, and a scientist. And they found out about him from some other research that had been done from the American Society of Cyclical Research in particular, a researcher named Gertrude Schmider. In these experiments, Swan proved that he was a capable psychic with abilities to remote view. He was also able to affect the temperature of thermometers sealed in insulated thermos canisters at a distance of 20 feet away. Swan, as a scientist, published these findings and sent them to Putoff, who was very interested and asked him to come to SRI to demonstrate his abilities. So apparently Stanford University had a super sensitive electromagnetically shielded quark detector and it was buried five feet underground in a cemented floor and I have no idea what this thing is so don't even ask. It was a detector of some sort that is relevant to physics and I am not a physicist and I cannot tell you what this thing did. But apparently it was super sensitive, and the very first thing that Swan was asked to do was to see if he could make the readings on it deviate at all. So if you are a physicist and you understand this, please contact us and explain it. No, don't, because we're too dumb to understand <laughs> it. So don't even waste your time. <laughs> what I can tell you is that it's used to detect subatomical particles known as quarks, and it's very sensitive for the job that it does. As it turns out, every time Putoff would ask Squan to just think about the detector, there was a noticeable change or deviation in the baseline readings. This convinced Putoff that Swan had extraordinary psychic abilities, so they needed to take this to the next level and test Swan's abilities at remote viewing. At first, the experiments were pretty small. They started out with Swan trying to detect objects in a box. He was very good and accurate with this, but he became bored. He actually said, I can view anything in the universe. This is a trivialization of my abilities. 
he apparently wasn't a very humble man. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that, though? You're able to see anything, anywhere, in any time, and they're saying, okay, what's in the box? <laughs> so with Swan becoming increasingly bored, they decided to come up with a different plan. And this plan included giving Swan coordinates on a map and seeing if he could view events, people, and structures around the planet at these coordinates, which he also did very well at. But one criticism of this test is that, well, possibly Swan was able to memorize an entire global map, and he just knew, based on the coordinates that they were giving him, what was physically at each of these locations. So instead of just giving him a set of pre-chosen coordinates, they decided that they would randomly choose numerical coordinates and see if he could do the same thing. And he performed equally as well with the randomized coordinate-based system as he did with the original coordinate-based system. Over time, two more psychics were added to the SRI test group. One of them was Pat Price, and the other was Joe McMonagall. These two psychics showed great ability when it came to remote viewing, but they did it differently. Remote viewing was actually a term that was coined by Swan because of how he did it. He would see an object, but not all psychics worked that way. Some of them would hear or use some of their other senses, like touch or taste or smell. The way that Pat Price did it was that he was able to imagine himself at a distant location, a target site, and then accurately relay what he saw in his mind. He was so successful with this power that the CIA hired him to work with them directly. McMonagall's abilities were through sketching. He was able to accurately sketch a target location. He was very successful at this. In fact, upon his retirement, he was rewarded a Legion of Merit award for his five years of remote viewing missions for the military and various government agencies. Now, while these other psychics were very good at what they did, Swan's abilities were above and beyond the other gifts of the natural psychics in this group. And over time, he was able to develop a six-stage system that the military used to teach other people to remote view. The system became known as CRV, or Coordinate or Controlled Remote Viewing. Swan's process is based on separating signals out of sound, and it generally sounds like radio or television broadcasting. Yes, like radio or television signals, they are around us all the time, and he was able to choose the one signal that had to do with the direct location that he was viewing from. And an important part of this process was recording all of this on paper. So, like us, you might be asking yourself, does this matter statistically, and is it accurate statistically? Well, it turns out that after the program was declassified, one of the persons that was asked to evaluate it was a statistician by the name of Jessica Utes. And she was the head of the American Statistical Association, and her conclusion says this, quote, Using the standards applied to any other area of science, it is concluded that psychic functioning has been well established. Arguments that these results could be due to methodological flaws in the experiments are soundly refuted. 
effects of similar magnitude to those found in government-sponsored research at SRI and SAIC have been replicated at a number of laboratories across the world. Such consistency cannot be readily explained by claims of flaws or fraud. End quote. And if you were wondering what SAIC is, it's the Scientific Applications International Corporation, and they provide scientific engineering, systems integration, and technical services for the United States government. All right, folks. If you will stick around after the break, we will talk about how you, I, and, well, potentially anyone can develop the skills of remote viewing. So stick around, and we will be right back. Hello and welcome to the Paranormal or What podcast with me, your host, Michaela Ford. Join me for tales of the paranormal, cryptids, UFOs, spooks, spectres and ghosts. We'll have interviews, stories, theories and musings and maybe just a sprinkling of spine-tingling terror. Don't forget to please email me your experiences at paranormalorwhatpodcast at outlook.com Or you can record your story straight onto the Anchor platform at anchor.fm forward slash paranormal or what podcast forward slash message. The reason I'm doing the podcast is to get to know like-minded people. People like you. Because together we can figure it out. folks, we are back. Let's continue our discussion on remote viewing. So Jess, earlier in this, we indicated that anyone could potentially remote view, correct? Yes. So in your research, did you discover a technique? There are a lot of techniques and we'll actually come to them. But first you have to understand that when it comes to remote viewing, you have to unlearn what you already know. When someone asks you to describe something, you normally use nouns and symbols to describe the item. Well, when remote viewing, it's the opposite. You begin by describing perceptions without trying to identify what you mean or what the larger picture is. This is very hard. You begin with basic outlines, fundamental or general components of a target site, like whether it's man-made, living, or natural. Then you describe sounds, colors, smells, temperatures, shapes, or sizes. And this whole time, you have to resist the temptation to draw conclusions about what you are viewing. So it sounds like it's all about being very general at first. Yes, it's important to have ambiguity. And it's very hard, at least for me, to do that because I like to compartmentalize things in my brain and to see them a certain way before describing them. But in remote viewing, you have to let go of that. And you're always tempted to draw conclusions about any given environment, but you can't. With remote viewing, you have no physical information to work with, so you most likely always be wrong if you try to make sense of what you're perceiving. And this is one of the biggest paradoxes of remote viewing. The fainter the perceptions, the more likely it is to be accurate, 
and the less likely you're going to feel confident in your perception. So to be a good remote viewer, you must learn to trust your feelings and be okay with uncertainty and ambiguity. That's very hard for me. Yeah, that would be very hard for me too, because I tend to see things logically, which means that I'm very quick to draw conclusions as to what I'm visually seeing in front of me and viewing. I mean, what's the phrase? Seeing is believing? Yeah, and for most of us, that is exactly what we're doing. We're seeing something, and then we're believing it. One of the things that I found interesting in our research is that, according to military personnel that were part of these programs, if a remote viewer finished a session and was super confident in what they had seen and used phrases like, I nailed it, the viewer's session would immediately be thrown into the garbage. A good session is one in which the viewer has no idea whether what they've been viewing is accurate or not. And that is completely bonkers to me because that is completely the opposite of how we've been taught to think and rationalize things. Yes, this is the opposite of every other form of success we're currently used to. It's the opposite of our educational system, which stresses linear and rational thinking. It is the opposite of when we go to work and what we are asked about work. We aren't asked to think about something and may or may not be right. We're asked to give facts based on what we see, feel, or hear. This process takes a long time to get used to. I think children have a natural ability for this. Our daughter will often find people that she just doesn't like, that she's uncomfortable with. And as adults, we try to get her to explain what she's feeling and why she's uncomfortable with this and put it into terms that we can understand and that she can understand. But with remote viewing, the spontaneous childlike reaction is what you're looking for. So in other words, you're learning to trust your intuition and not overthink things, which is what we as adults are very bad at. We overthink and we overthink and we never make an action because we think about it too much. Remote viewing is more about being spontaneous than it is about overthinking, which is why I would be a terrible remote <laughs> viewer. I overthink everything. Now, we've already talked about how the remote viewer is likely picking up on vibrational frequencies that are already around all of us, kind of like a television or a cell phone or a radio. Now, there are different steps to remote viewing and setting oneself up to be able to receive these vibrational frequencies. But the first step in all of these is the same. It's always starting with meditation. In fact, you've got to become kind of a master at meditation because remote viewing requires a deep trance-like state, which can only be achieved after you can confidently meditate. Many practitioners refer to this as accessing your inner eye. It's a state in which your mind is entirely separate from your immediate surroundings and perceptions, and it's then that you can travel in your mind to elsewhere. So if you are interested in practicing or trying remote viewing, here are some of the steps. Before we get into the steps, I would just like to say that there are two types of remote viewing. The first is structured remote viewing, and the second is freeform remote viewing. Both are the same in what they do, 
but the first one is easier to describe because it has steps that go along with it and it's easier to control. So we're going to go through structured remote viewing. The first step involves a reference number. This number can be an actual number or it can be a name, it can be a noun, it can be anything that connects you to whatever you are remote viewing. It doesn't matter what the reference is as long as it has a way of identifying it from the surrounding environment. As an easy example, you can have a person in another location pick up a random picture and give it a reference number like 1042. This reference number is the initial stimulus. So the person practicing the remote viewing would then write down the number 1042 on a piece of paper. Next to the number, they would make a squiggle line. That seems kind of weird, but this squiggle line is called an ideogram. The ideogram is an expression of the remote viewer's nervous system in response to the association with the number. This whole process and this step should only take about half a second to a second and a half. Any longer and the imagination can take over and damage the process. Intuition is what you're striving for. One remote viewer explained it like this. You're in a tunnel and there's a boulder coming at you and the boulder is your imagination. So you have to be faster than your imagination and let your intuition take over. Again, this would be extremely hard for me. I do not have diagnosed ADHD, but my brain literally never shuts down, which means it it floats from one random thought to another. I would be completely flattened by that boulder, (laughs) Indiana Jones style, just like splat. But interestingly enough, I would love to learn how to quiet my mind. That would be a fantastic journey for me. That's where meditation comes in. All right, Jess, so what is the next step? Well, the next step is to record your sensory and dimensional impressions. And most people are thinking, what does that mean? What it means is utilizing your intuitive sensing to catch and record your thoughts. In this step, the remote viewer has a piece of paper with the words texture, colors, smells, tastes, sounds, and dimensions written on it. Next to each word, the remote viewer then takes two to three seconds per word to write down the first impressions that come to mind. It might look like this. Next to texture, you'd have rough. Next to colors, you'd have green or black. Next to smells, you'd have fruity. I mean, it goes on and on. And at the very end, there is one more question to answer, and that is, how would this sight make you feel if you were physically there? An answer to this question might be happy or sad, uncomfortable, nervous, ill, anything like that, as long as you can write it within two to three seconds. So Jess, do you record your first impression or do you record all impressions that you receive during that two to three seconds? Yes, you record all the impressions. So let's say you have three different smells that come to mind or two different textures. You would write down what comes to mind first, but not think about it. So straight intuition, just whatever comes to your mind first. Yes. All right. And there is a third step, correct? Yes. The third and final step is to sketch. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm not an artist. Well, you don't have to be, and it's important that you're actually not an artist. Your sketches should not be high quality. They should be made up of basic shapes. This last step should take only 15 to 30 seconds. And as you are finished, it's important to write end at the bottom of the page. So what it may look like is 
a complete piece of paper where you have some triangles and circles and squares and squiggly lines, anything like that. And then at the very end, after about 30 seconds, write the word end. What is the importance of writing the word end? That I don't know. <laughs> they just, it, it was very, it was emphasized very strongly that you need to sever the connection and writing the word end was responsible for that. Okay. So it sounds like this takes a lot of practice. Yes, it does. In fact, it's recommended that you practice it hundreds of times before you can even be considered remotely accurate at it. But it is believed that anyone can do this with the proper training and the time. Yes, the time and the practice. Anyone can do it to some level. Some people have more talent at it, but anyone can practice it. How would one go about practicing this? It's kind of funny because I found on YouTube, they have practice remote viewing sessions where they will give you a number and then you'll write down all your impressions and you'll go through the process and then you'll push play and it will show you a picture that was associated with this number and you'll see how close you were to the actual picture. Did you try this? I did. Sometimes I was actually spot on. I remember one time when it came to color, the first color I saw was orange. And then when I looked at the picture, the whole picture was almost an orangish reddish color. But then other times I was way off, especially times when I would picture something in my head and I was trying to describe what that picture was rather than just intuitively writing things down. Do you think that this is something that you will continue to try to master or something that you just experimented with for this episode? I don't know. I think it was very interesting and I might try to experiment a little more, but I don't know if it's something I would really want to dedicate so much time to. But if you, our listeners, are willing to dedicate time to this, you may find that you have the ability to do this and you may find that you're talented at it. What I find interesting is that if remote viewing is real, then that means that other psychic abilities might be real too and that you might even have an aptitude for them. It also means that our universe is different than maybe we have seen it before, and that somehow we are all interconnected through some form of vibration or light that we don't understand, and that we can communicate over distances and maybe even time. Yeah, those are all very interesting points, Jessica. All right, folks, we would be interested in knowing what your experiences are with remote viewing. Whether you're an expert at this or you're a beginner, feel free to leave those experiences in the comments or you can share them with us privately. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. We will see you next time. All right, folks, that is the end of this episode. We want to thank you for joining us and let you know that we appreciate you listening. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing through your favorite podcast player. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you would like to share an experience, be on the show, or submit a story, you can do that through our email at prairielandparanormalpodcast at gmail.com or through our website at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. So, until next time, remember, don't be normal. If you can be, paranormal.